really enjoyed <clears throat> uh, the teaching time we've had together for the last seven weeks. Uh, we spent four weeks talking about repentance. Uh, so good for my soul. Heard just really great feedback from many of you as you were uh, thinking through, processing through uh, on the topic of repentance and what it looks like in your own life. And then um, we, uh, we switched gears and we put our attention on Christ, uh, celebrating Christ uh, over the last three weeks, landing with celebrating Christ's victory on Easter Sunday, which was just such a fantastic uh, time of remembrance with all of you. So encouraged and inspired just watching your faith expressed here in this environment. Um, the next two weeks, we're going to jump into a series that I'm titling Crazy. I realized after last Sunday that that's probably not a good title for a series. Um, is that still a thing that you can say? Yes. Is that okay? Yeah. Some of you, I mean, I'm not talking about all of you, but at least a handful of you. Following Easter, uh, my, my, my routine has been the last number of years is that I, uh, I try to sort of step out of our regular teaching and do something that is uh, relevant, maybe more immediately relevant to some practical life situations. And the one that keeps coming up to me uh, recently, by recently I mean over the last number of months, maybe even over the last year, uh, has been... Uh, many of you seeking guidance on how to navigate conversations as a believer in light of the gospel uh, with people who don't share your convictions, uh, maybe don't share your beliefs, and yet you want to, you want to honor the opportunity that you have to to be a person of influence, right? Um, and yet, uh, in, in many of the conversations that I've had, again, with many of you, um, you find yourself in conversations where, um, and, and tell me if I'm, just, just give me a, a, a raised hand if this is you. You find yourself in conversations where you feel like one of you you're pretty sure it's the other person, but at least one of you is, is a little off. Okay, yeah. And yet, because you want to honor Christ in that conversation, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to say something um, out of place or inappropriate you don't want to not say something, right? And it just feels like, I know if, if for me, some of, those, some of those conversations, it just feels very uh, fragile. The moment feels very fragile. Does that make sense to you? Uh, it's, it's very delicate and, and fleeting, right? There's sometimes where you, you find yourself brought into an opportunity to have a conversation that you, you were not prepared to have, and yet you see this as a significant opportunity, and the opportunity will soon be passed, and you don't want to do harm, you want to honor the moment, and honor Christ in the moment. 
And some of you have jumped into those conversations and it did not end well. Anyone? Come on, you can be honest. That was a very emphatic hand raise, Esther McLenn. Anyone? <clears throat> Hallelujah. <laughs> have you had this happen? Who? You guys have young kids. Some of you have young kids. I've had this happen a number of times where someone hands their phone to one of my young children. You know what I'm talking about? And you say, no, 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 uh, no. Please take your phone away from my child. And they say, it's fine. <laughs> no, it's not fine. This will not end fine. Uh, please, here, here, give, give him his phone back. No, 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 it's fine. He can, he's not going to harm it. No. <laughs> You've severely underestimated my child. My child is not going to harm it. My child is going to destroy it. Please take your phone back. It's not, it's a cheap phone. It's fine. They can, I can't afford to replace a cheap phone. So would you please take your phone away from my kid and never give it back? This will not end well. Something is going to get damaged. So this is what we're going to do this morning. This is a two-part series. I want to help you engage those kinds of conversations with clarity, with confidence, without a fear that you're going to do harm, that you're going to dishonor the moment. And so what I want to do this morning, and we're, uh, I'm going to move through this pretty quickly, is we're going to do uh, a short little inductive Bible study. It's just a fancy term, which means try to understand what the verse is saying. We're going to take two verses. So I'm going to read them to you, and then we're going to go through, and we're going to parse it out. Are you ready? Are you ready? Channel. Center. First Peter 3. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who disparage your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. How many of you heard that before? A bunch of you. Um, there is so much going on in this passage, and it has been so profoundly helpful for me. So I'm going to walk through this phrase by phrase. So we're just going to, we're just going to, we're going to run. You ready? Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. So if you, if you're familiar at all with this reference, you know that he's talking about the way that you engage with conversations with other people who don't share your beliefs. But it begins this way, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. If you are going to be able to represent Christ and his purposes and his plans and his heart 
uh, in your relationships and conversations with other people, it begins by establishing Christ as Lord in your heart. First order of business, establish Christ as king. That's what Lord is, ruler, as ruler of your heart. To sanctify means to do the hard work of bringing that about in your own life. It means to set him apart. It's the ongoing work of putting Christ in charge of your heart, not just of your future, not just of your ideas, not just of your thoughts, but sanctify Christ as Lord of your heart, that he would be the driver of your emotional responses when you have difficult conversations. He is Lord of my heart. A heart ruled by Christ is a heart that cares for what he cares for and is motivated by what matters to him. A heart that is ruled by Christ is reflected through a life characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Your opportunities to contribute towards real change will be a product of the real work that you are doing right now to make Christ Lord in your heart. The greater Christ's work in you, the greater his work through you. Now, this might feel a little bit abstract to you. Here's the deal. Your uh, growing capacity to fully honor and engage the opportunities that God is going to bring your way, you are actually preparing yourself for those moments now when you make Christ ruler of your heart. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. He goes on, always being ready, meaning you should get ready and then you should stay ready right? It's an ongoing present tense. Always being ready. Get ready and then stay ready for certain kinds of conversations. You should be prepared. You should think about these things ahead of time. You should plan your responses. Think of it like CPR training. You know the right response for a certain kind of critical situation or moment. We have any Royal Rangers in the house? Royal Rangers? Surely we have some Royal Rangers, yeah. Ready for anything. Is that a Boy Scout thing too? You all look very confused. I'm going to move on. <laughs> Always being ready. I warn you, watching journalists, bloggers, and podcasters do gotcha videos is not making yourself ready regardless of how satisfying you found their sick burn to be on an unsuspecting bystander. Always being ready, meaning uh, with, with Christ ruling my heart, I'm also taking the practical steps of preparing myself for a certain kind of conversation. Getting ready for what precisely? He goes on, getting ready always being ready to make a defense, to make a defense. The assumption is that P 
Peter, as he's writing to these readers, his assumption is that they'll have to do some work to justify the hope that they have. Always being ready to make a defense. In other words, your hope, which we're gonna, we're gonna look at that hope, uh, but this is what he's talking about. The hope that you have will be at so at odds with what seems to be justified that you will have to defend it. You'll have to explain it to make a defense. Keep in mind who Peter is writing to. 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as strangers scattered through Pontius, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who are chosen. He is writing to his brothers, Jewish believers, who because of persecution had been scattered all over kingdom come. His anticipation is that their hope, which is not only evident, but is so at odds with their situation, would cause other people to say, you're going to have to explain yourself. Your hope is indefensible. To make a defense. Next phrase, to everyone who asks you. To everyone, to each and every person that comes asking. This is a group of people who don't know you well enough to understand your belief system, but know you well enough to have experienced your indefensible and unexplainable hopefulness. To everyone who asks you, Peter, the, the, the assumption, and an, an assumption is something that's implied but not explicitly said, Peter's assumption is that the person who has sanctified the Lord uh, or Jesus as Lord of their hearts, regardless of their dire situation, that there will be a hopefulness oozing out of them that will make the people around them go, something's not right. One of us is off, and I think they're off. To everyone who asks you, I'd like to suggest that responding to questions is a really great and appropriate way to navigate conversations into spiritual matters or spiritual arenas. I've had a number of interactions over the last couple of years where someone is sort of uh, maybe unloading and I can't tell if there's a question in there anywhere, right? So Peter says to everyone who asks you. So I'm trying to figure out if there's a question in there. So I've actually started something where I'll just say, uh, at some point as I'm kind of trying to figure out what my role in the conversation is, you know, are you just, you're just saying what's up? Or 
um, I'll actually ask, so what is the question that you're trying to answer? To everyone who asks you, so what is the question? Uh, here's a couple of real-life questions that have come up in conversations with people that don't attend Church on the Rock in, uh, in the last uh, few months. Um, well, going back a little bit, actually, I was asked the question um, right after the election, which was, how long ago was that? It was a little while ago, almost a year and a half ago. Uh, I bumped into someone who I've known for a long time. Um, I don't actually know about their, their faith. I know that they're not part of a church. And it was one of those, like, pretty intense... Uh, spiels, you know, that I'm trying to figure out, okay, what is my role in this conversation? I want to honor the moment. And anytime someone's emotionally intense, there's a unique opportunity in that moment. And finally, the, the question came, are you not freaking out right now? Totally freaking out. You just can't tell. <laughs> What a fantastic question to, to then direct the conversation into the hope that I have. Are you not freaking out right now? I had a conversation a couple of months ago. Someone uh, that I actually know not to be a believer. And we were talking about Church on the Rock, and the statement was made in the conversation. There, I think there's some, there's some confusion about Church on the Rock and LGBTQ issues. And I said, uh, so what, what, what is the question? That's, again, we're getting to the question, right? I'm trying to find my way in. Well, the question is, is Church on the Rock Homer anti-LGBTQ? That's a great question. And what a fantastic opportunity to then, now you've asked me a question, let's, let's make our way to the hope that we have. Another conversation just last week, actually, right before, right before Easter. In fact, this individual I don't know well, uh, they told me that they are not a believer and uh, told me they didn't want anyone knowing they had spoken to me. What's the question? There's lots of concerns. What's the question? The question was, what can I do but just sit at home and try to avoid all of the insanity that I see in the world around me? That's a great question. In that particular conversation, um, and again, I, I'm learning this, right? So I'm, I'm 43 years old. 
And I'm at a place now in my own capacity, having, having been in a journey of sanctifying Lord over my heart, of growing in my capacity in these conversations, right? And I think that's sometimes the challenge is, is that uh, success in navigating these conversations is, is comes after a long line of failures, and you just have to be okay with that. You just got to re-engage and re-engage and know that with Christ's help, you're going to get better, right? But in this particular conversation, it was just such a wonderful opportunity to say, well, the only, the only thing that I, that, that I can really say in response is that my hope is rooted in um, the, the, the shared example that me and my church have of the love of Christ. And it's the love of Christ that shows me how to leave my house and engage with a world that in your eyes seems deeply, irreparably, hopelessly broken. And that's Jesus. To everyone who asks you, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. A hope that resides in your heart and keeps leaking into situations where it is not called for. Because it is not in any practical terms situationally rooted hope, it is hope because of Jesus and his lordship over my heart. Because if Jesus can be lord of my heart, he can be lord of anything. My experience has been that as I, as I sanctify Christ as a Lord in my heart, I'm only confronted with the depravity of my own heart, the selfishness of my own heart, the pride and fear and all of the things that are wrapped up in my own heart. And there is Christ, Lord, in that very unwelcoming environment at times. And I say, well, shoot. If he can be Lord over me, you should be no problem. It is a hope that springs from the miracle of Christ's saving work in my life. He saved me from despair. Surely he can save anyone. Whatever I feel about the world and the culture and the people and the politics... The thing that keeps creeping out when it's not called for is hope. Hope is an expectation of good. Hope is an optimistic outlook, a favorable forecast of my future. Hope actually unlocks faith and love. But this hope is not Naive. This is not a hopefulness that springs out of a willful blindness to the world's problems. This is a hopefulness that Peter, a 
experienced. This is the same Peter who, when Christ was raised from the grave, was so confused about his, about the ambitions of Jesus, the kingdom of God, that he said, you know what? I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what his plan is. It's clearly not working out the way that I thought it was going to. And he turned to his buddies and he said, guys, let's go back fishing. That's what, that's, I guess that's what our life is going to be. This is a hopefulness that Peter is describing not only among the scattered and persecuted, but do you know who the Roman emperor is at this time? It was an early 20s young guy by the name of Nero who was decimating the Christian population. Not to mention his own kingdom. This hope that Peter describes, the hope that at one point, even though he was in the very presence of Jesus, seemed so distant, so abstract, so out of touch, this hope that Peter has described is rooted in the knowledge that nothing and no one can keep me from my heart's greatest joy, my heart's greatest desire. And that is knowing Jesus, looking forward to the day when I see him face to face and he establishes his perfect rule on the earth. This is why when Christ is not king of your heart, what people are most likely to detect when they encounter you is either despair, anger, or fear. Because despair, anger, and fear are justified responses. Those are responses that make sense. Jesus, John 18, 36, talking to Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. The establishment of my kingdom is not dependent upon the power mechanisms of mankind, of humankind. Do you know right now today where you sit in this moment that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is being established on the earth? His purposes are advancing. Christ is winning in the world. The end of the story has already been written and guaranteed by the sovereign hand of God. This is our hope. actually taken a different approach oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes, to those who seem to be really locked into conspiracy. Conspiracy is hard to address because irrational fears are not addressed with rational responses most of the time. But it is an opportunity to point to where 
my hope lies. My hope is not from a place of believing that you're incorrect, even if you were correct. My hope is undiminished because even the problems that you've described as you see them are not too great for Jesus Christ. And then it says, if Peter says, who knew all about what it meant to be a total punk, he says, but don't be a punk about it. To everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness. Don't forget these important clarifications, but with gentleness. To be gentle means to treat a person with care and concern so as to avoid causing unnecessary harm. This word gentleness actually is, is in some translations, uh, meekness. It's a gentleness born out of humility, out of concern for the other. But with gentleness. You can almost imagine Peter writing this down, but with gentleness. Do you remember that one time? I totally cut off that guy's ear. <laughs> I, was, I was in a different headspace. But with gentleness and respect. To respect the person is, is actually, literally means with reverence and fear, giving dignity to the divine image bearer in front of you who has been created by God with a worth equal to your own regardless of their viewpoint or the lies that they, they believe. But with gentleness and respect and keep a good conscience. You've ever walked away with a bad conscience? <laughs> that did not go well. Christ was in charge of my heart for like the first five minutes of that conversation, and then I don't know what happened, but something else took over. To keep a good conscience requires you to, to think about your words carefully, to slow down, to be thoughtful, to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Don't say something you'll regret or regret, but it also requires you in order to keep a good conscience. It's the moment that you realize that you have violated your con uh, conscience in those kinds of conversations is to address that violation with gentleness and respect immediately. You know what? I just realized that the way that I responded to that. Can we just take the last three minutes and just... I'm sorry. Um, I, I was getting a little crazy there, and I don't want to do that because I realize it's not productive. To keep a clear conscience means to not only go slow as you go in, but once you're there, to realize that if I make mistakes, I can, I can address them with an attitude of humility and repentance right away. And my conscience is clear. Chris, you guys can go ahead and come up. The final line, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who disparage your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. But wait, why would they slander someone they do not know? I'll tell you why. And this was happening in the Roman Empire, because they've been given a villainous stereotype of your kind of person. Because they are doing what you are tempted to do, and that is blame this person for everything that they represent. 
He says, so that in the thing you are slandered, those who disparage your good name and good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Those who malign your character will actually be proven wrong over time, will be put to shame. It's passive. You're not shaming them. They actually shame themselves. And those who accuse you in order to demean your beliefs will be shown to be liars. I'm going to read this from the message. I'm going to read that same verse, the one we just covered. I'm going to read it from the message, but I'm going to read the whole chapter. You'll love the flow of this. You ready? We're in with this. Summing up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. That goes for all of you, no exceptions, no retaliation, no sharp-toned sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing and you'll get a blessing. Whoever wants to embrace life and see the day fill up with good, here's what you do. Say nothing evil or hurtful, snub evil, cultivate good, run after peace for all your worth. God looks on all of this with approval, listening and responding well to what he's asked, but he turns his back on those who do evil things. If with heart and soul you're doing good, do you think that you can be stopped? Even if you suffer for it, you're still better off. Don't give the opposition a second thought. Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention, in adoration before Christ your master. And be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are. And always with the utmost courtesy, keep a clear conscience before God so that when people throw mud at you, none of it will stick. They'll end up realizing that they're the ones who need a bath. It's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to be punished for doing bad. That's what Christ did definitively, suffered because of others' sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous ones. He went through it all, was put to death, and then made alive to bring us to God. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. And then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. I'm praying for you guys. You're the church. You're the hands and feet of Christ, the mouthpiece of Christ to Homer, Alaska, and the world. Amen. So where do you begin? Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. You can do that today. You can get after it today on that front. Sanctify Christ as Lord of your heart. And the hope that he brings will inevitably find its way out. It's really a beautiful